Would you pray with me? God, as we gather here this morning and examine this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel, God, I have a very simple prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, and that you would make the gospel of Jesus Christ ever more clear and ever more precious to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, when you see the word obedience on the screen and when you hear it being said, many things might come to mind. Around nine decades ago, obedience competitions began, not for humans, but for dogs. They began because a standard poodle breeder was sick and tired of people thinking that her dogs were dumb. So in 1933, there was an eight-dog trial competition that was won not by one of her poodles, but by a lab. The following year, she wrote that the judging of dogs in the breed classes is a mystery to many, but a series of tests displaying the dog's brain is something they can actually see. If the dog is obeying, they can figure out what was going on in the dog's mind. A couple years later, this was um, made an official event, and nearly nine decades later, there have been hundreds of dogs, thousands of dollars, and many hours spent as part of dog obedience competitions. But I think we would all agree that many of us in this room who own dogs are not too worried about having them in a competition, but we just want them to listen in our homes. And the others in this room, others of us who don't have dogs, are not so concerned that our neighbor's dog goes to a competition, but that they stop barking at 2 a.m. We know that obedience is important for animals, but obedience for animals is one thing, and obedience for people is quite another. Will you, children, obey your parents, or will you not? Will we obey our bosses, or will we not? Will we obey the law, or will we not? And ultimately, the question is, will we obey God, or will we not? In our text today, as we continue our journey through 1 Samuel, we see that what God desires of people is total and complete obedience to him. And I invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is page page 237 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And as I said, we're continuing our journey through 1 Samuel, and this passage this morning acts as a hinge chapter, as we're getting to the end of Saul's reign, and next week we'll see the beginning of David coming on the scene. And I'm going to read the whole chapter for us this morning. Now it's 35 verses for all the people in the room, and maybe especially you kids and students. I, I want to let you know when Pastor Nick told me I was preaching this passage, I read it, and I made it about seven verses in before my mind started to wonder. So this is going to take a little bit of brain power to stay focused, but we're going to go through all 35 verses here and then diagnose what they mean for us. This is the Word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and to devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Tilium, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Verse 8, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, it would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord, all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Verse 17, And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what's evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow down before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among the women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. God desires people who are totally or fully obedient to him. This is a thread that we see being wound up and down throughout this story. And it starts in the very beginning in verse 1, where we're reminded that we must know what God says if we want to fully obey him. God is clear what he wanted Saul to do. And God is also clear in his word what he wants us to do. Look with me in verse 1. In the middle of verse 1, Samuel says, Therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Then down in verse 3, he says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It's very clear what God wanted Saul to do. And Saul almost completed it. He completed much of it. But it becomes clear that he almost obeyed the word of the Lord. He was lacking from total obedience. So why do we think that he didn't obey what God called him to do? Well, there's many reasons we could talk about, some of them which we might be discussing on Wednesday night in this new format we're starting this week. But there's a verse in verse 24. Turn with me to verse 24 which I believe is a statement that Saul makes to Samuel, which helps us unlock this passage and understand why Saul did not obey what God intended for him to do. What he says in verse 24, it says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Think about the contrast we see here. 
I just read the verse in verse 1 that Saul was supposed to listen to the voice of the Lord. And instead, in verse 24, he says he obeyed the voices of the people. This reminds us of the point that total obedience to God means we value what God says more than what man says. Yet again, this is an issue that was serious in Saul's life, and this is an issue that we realize is serious in our life. It comes down to pride, the root of sin, and we have options to make. If we know what God intends for us to do, and we do because it's clear in his word, are we going to listen to God, or are we going to listen to other people? Are we going to listen to God, or are we going to listen to ourselves? Now, at first reading of this, it might not be as obvious, but when, when we go back and study and diagnose what's going on here, it's very clear that although Saul set out, and we're going to see here in a moment, he thought he completed what God wanted him to do, this idea of bringing glory to himself instead of bringing glory to God, is very evident. Back up with me a little bit here to verse 15. Actually, verse 12, I'm sorry. And we see in the middle of verse 12, it says, um, And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Now it's fascinating here that what Saul did is he, not that he set up a monument. When we read the Old Testament, if you read through the whole Old Testament, you'll see it's common for people to set up monuments. Usually the people of God, when they had a victory, in order to give praise to God, they would set up a monument or an altar in order to give praise to God. We saw earlier in this book where this happened, several weeks ago in a sermon. But here, Saul is not setting up a monument to bring glory to God. It's very clear here in the text that he set up a monument for himself. Saul was seeking the approval of man more than he was seeking the approval of God. And this is where I think most of us, and I could say all of us, we find ourselves many times. I mean, think about a few of these scenarios. We know that God's word says it is a sin to gossip. Yet our coworker walks into our office, asks what our opinion is of someone that we know, and we have an option. Are we going to do what God's word says to do, or are we going to try to please people? We know that God's word says we're supposed to be people of integrity, people of honesty. Yet students in the room or even adults in this room, we know there's lots of times where we can lie about our work that we have done. We can advertise our business falsely to make us look better. And are we going to do what God wants us to do? Or are we going to do what people want us to do? This is a challenge that not only Saul faced, but this is a challenge that we face. This is a challenge that I face. And when we take this and we tie it together with this idea of total obedience, we realize that Saul was on route to disaster because he was seeking to make himself great. 
Now, tied in here with trying to please other people, which I know I struggle with, many of us struggle with, tied in with the idea here of trying to completely obey what God called us to do, we see here that Saul was using the mask of religious activity to try to make an excuse for what he was doing. I mean, look with me at verse 13. We, th- we see three steps happen here in verse 13, 14, and 15. Verse 13 says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. First thing we see here is that sin has a way of blinding us. Saul thought he completed what God wanted him to do. I wonder how many times in our lives we think we're doing what God wants us to do, but really we are blinded by the sin that we are living in. The second step we see here in verse 14. So Saul comes, he says, I did it. I completed the commandment. In verse 14, and Samuel says, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears or the lowing of the oxen that I hear? I mean, it's kind of comical, right? Saul comes and he says, I did it. I completed it. And Samuel's like, I hear a sheep. What is that huge ox right there? That was supposed to be destroyed. And we realize the situation is no longer straight, but it is crooked. And then we see Saul's excuse, verse 15. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. We are reminded in verse 15 that obedience is better than fake religious activity. Saul was trying to check a box that he knew the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, they sacrificed to God continually. And he was seeking to check that box and to sacrifice to God. But in the midst of his journey, he forgot that what God desired of him was not sacrifice, but was obedience. Now these fake religious activities, this is the act of following through with a religious activity, but where your heart is not tied in with it, right? We, we understand this in a religious way because we could use many examples of what this looks like in the church, but we know what this looks like to go through ritual in order just to check a box just to get by. I mean, you could have went to many graduation ceremonies that happened at many high schools around here, and you'd see very many siblings of the graduates who were sitting there with looks on their face, not because they wanted to be there, but because it was a ritual they must attend. Some of you are going to be going to family functions this summer, and they're going to be outside, and you're purposely going to take sunglasses, not because it's sunny, but because you're hoping to get some sleep in the middle of the family function. Check the box, and don't blame Pastor Kyle for giving the idea to your students. But this was not just any ritual. This was sacrifice to the God of the universe. And we are reminded here in this text that God takes the worship of himself very, very serious. And he desires his people to be 
obedient. This is why in verse 22, one of the most famous verses in this book, Samuel says to Saul, Has the Lord as, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. This idea of fake religious activity is so important to God that at the end of this section in verse 23, it says that God has rejected Saul from being king. Talk about a plan that did not go as Saul wanted. He had an option to obey God. He chose to listen to the people rather than listening to God himself. And this led him from being rejected by the God of the universe. It's one thing to be rejected by people. It's another thing to be rejected by God. And we see something fascinating here in this story throughout this. We see that God says he regretted that he made Saul king. I want to show us a few of these here in this story. Look with me at verse 11, the very first time we see this. Verse 10, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Look with me at the very last verse in this chapter. Verse 35, the last sentence says, And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And then look with me at one more verse. In verse 29, it says, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. So we have three illustrations of this coming up in this chapter. I have regretted making him king. I have regretted making him king. And the glory of the Lord, the glory of Israel, God himself, will not have regret. So what is going on here in the midst of this fake religious activity? Well, one principle I like to teach our students here is when we get to a muddy or an unclear theological situation, we don't start in the mud. First, we start in the clear, and we work into the mud. So what do we know about God? Well, the first thing we know about God is that God is perfect in all of his ways. He is the creator of the whole universe, and he is never to be mistaken. His plans and his foresight are perfect. We also know in Numbers 23, 19, which is indirectly quoted here in verse 29, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. So we know this is who God is. So then now we have to move into what is unclear then why did God say that he regrets making Saul king? Why did he say a second time that he regrets making Saul king over Israel? Well, when we think about this, we realize that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's a theological term we use called anthropomorphism, which is when we give forms and characteristics of people, and we give them to God so that we can better understand his heart. Sometimes we give human feelings to God 
so that we can better understand what is going on in the passage. God was not mistaken by what Saul is doing. God is sovereign over all things. What is going on here is God is so grieved by the sin of the king of his people that he regrets making Saul king. One theologian writes, verse 11 does not intend to suggest that God is a fickle of purpose, or, but his sorrow of sin. It does not depict God being flustered over lack of foresight, but God being grieved over Saul's lack of obedience. Being a regret of God. This isn't the first time we see this in the Old Testament. We're reminded if we were to back up to Genesis chapter 6, if you were part of our church several years ago, Pastor Nick preached a sermon on Genesis chapter 6, where it says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. We are reminded this morning in the middle of 1 Samuel chapter 15 that God takes sin serious. You might not take sin serious, but God takes sin serious. So serious that he removed Saul from being king. So the story ends here. We're reminded that God really does get what he wants. We're reminded in verse 32 that even though Saul killed most of the people, that God made sure that his command was fulfilled. He brings King Agag before him, and, and the king comes in verse 32, says, surely the bitterness of death is past. He was hoping he was going to be okay. And Samuel said, as, a sword has made, as your sword has made many women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. We're reminded here, as I just said, that God gets what he wants. We serve a God who is holy, who is perfect, whose character is blameless. And because of that, he must make account for sin. So where does that leave Saul? And not only that, but where does that leave us as a church family as here in a few moments we're going to take the Lord's Supper together? And we're reminded that the same God who took Saul's sin seriously is the same God who takes our sin seriously. That we might think we are getting away with sin but our sin grieves the heart of God. Some of us here, as we think about this idea of being totally obedient to God, no one has to tell us how disobedient we actually are. We know that we are disobedient to God. And this is why as we come to the table this morning, we're thankful that there was one who was fully obedient and his name is Jesus. Think with me for a moment of a scenario that very likely could be yours, maybe even tonight, or maybe was several years ago when you had children in your house who were younger, 
where it's a summer night, the weather hopefully will be good, we're due for some good weather around here, and you are time, it's time to put your children to bed. And your son says to you, but Daddy, can you just read me a book? You're thinking, well, reading's a good thing, I'll read you a book. He says, but Daddy, can you read me, and the book that he puts on your lap is a children's Bible. And now you're thinking, okay, I'll, I'll read the Bible to you. And as the pages of this Bible get opened, it's an illustrated children's Bible, and you get the page number, the beginning page number one, and you see Adam and Eve. The child says, Daddy, what did these people do? And the dad says, Son, these people, they disobeyed what God wanted them to do. Turn to page number two. Oh, Daddy, are these Adam and Eve's kids? Yeah, one of them killed the other one. But Daddy, at least I didn't kill my brother. Turn a few more pages. Okay, Abraham. Daddy, who's Abraham? Abraham's someone who's really important in the Bible. But he was a liar. What about David? He committed adultery. What about Moses? He was a good guy. Oh, wait, he killed someone. What about the Israelites, the people of God? And the dad explains to his child, God's people in the Old Testament, again and again and again, turned away from the father. So daddy, who, who is good in this book? Who is the obedient one? And the father explains, child, there's only one who is obedient. There is only one who is fully obedient to the father. He's the sacrifice of sin, the savior of the world, and his name is Jesus Christ. We're reminded this morning, as we think of this idea that God desires people totally obedient to him, how lacking our lives are on our own. We know how disobedient we are. And this morning we joyfully celebrate that there is one who was obedient the Savior of the world, who chose to die on a cross and rise again to pay for the punishment of your sins and for mine. Think with me for a second as we close. Jesus is in the garden shortly before he's executed, and he's praying to the Father. And he says, Father, if so, take this cup from me. Take this away so I don't need to go through this. He knew it was going to be horrific. And if there was ever a time to disobey the Father, this was the time. If there ever was a time to want to please other people and want other people to like them, this was the time. Yet he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus is the one who is totally obedient to the Father. So as we close this morning, I want to put him before you. And ask, have you accepted Jesus as a totally obedient sacrifice for your sins? God desires people who are totally obedient to him. Praise God that he sent one, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for obedience. And God, we thank you for sending your son who was totally obedient for us. Father, I pray that we would examine our lives, that we would die to ourselves and keep our eyes on you, that we would not be like Saul, seeking the approval of other people, but that we would follow you faithfully in the world that you've called us to live. 
Thank you for your word, and would you use it to change us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.